No successful organization easily overcomes a changing of the guard. When a corporation or a charity or any other enterprise flourishes under a thriving leader, the two tend to become synonymous, magnifying the challenge when time invariably catches up and a beloved chief executive stands down. This was the backstory last September when Elaine Gross stepped down as president of Syosset-based activist group Erase Racism. Elaine had led the 501c3 registered charity since its 2001 launch and grown it into a regional force for social justice, cultivating effective programs on inclusive housing and workforce training and other key socioeconomic issues. And she was going out with a bang, signing off on a May 2022 Erase Racism report that savaged state and local officials for a long history of school funding imbalances, with more money and resources going to primarily white school districts and non-white districts, where guidance counselors and new facilities are needed most, left scrounging. That fearless report perfectly summed up Elaine's tenure and exemplified the gap she'd leave behind bringing us to today's extremely talented guest. Laura Harding is an attorney and a social worker with a wide range of public administration experience, all mirroring the mission Elaine was refining over 20 years in Syosset. While Elaine was overseeing creation of Erase Racism's Fair Housing Digital Tools, Laura was serving as Assistant Director of the District of Columbia Public Schools Office of Federal Programs. While Erase Racism rolled out employee training and professional development workshops, Laura worked as a staff attorney for a Manhattan-based nonprofit, providing gratis legal services for New Yorkers, primarily minorities, who otherwise couldn't afford them. And while Elaine's teams were researching that eye-opening school funding report, Laura was absorbing everything she could about politics and government as a staffer in the Washington, D.C. Deputy Mayor's Office. When she became a training facilitator with Adelphi University's Diversity Certificate Partnership Program in 2020, Laura had come full circle. She'd earned her bachelor's degree in social work at Adelphi. And while she was born in Barbados and grew up in Brooklyn, the self-described adopted Long Islander had come home. Her adopted home is lucky to have. Last September, Laura succeeded Elaine Gross as Erase Racism's second-ever president. Big shoes to fill, yes, but filled by someone accustomed to big steps. She's intelligent, she's experienced, she's funny, and like all great innovators, she is very busy. So we are grateful for her time today. Laura Harding, woman on a mission, welcome to Spark. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I am going to replay this every morning. <laughs> it's like self-affirmation while you're in the show. Yes. You're like, who is this person you're speaking of? I like her. <laughs> well, it's all true. The per Everything I said there is true. That's the person I'm speaking of. And she is awesome. Um, before we get to your present day awesomeness, Laura, uh, and all the amazing things that are happening at a race, uh, racism, uh, let's jump into the Wayback Machine. Uh, you earned that bachelor's degree in social work at Adelphi. Uh, then it was on to the University of Chicago. Uh, where you earned a master's in social service administration. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, the Howard University uh, School of Law in Washington, D.C. Um, so, uh, well, you got your JD. So, 
So here's young Laura, three degrees in hand, including a law degree. Uh, what is her plan? My plan is, um, I think what my plan has always been um, when I started at Adelphi and probably before is to do the best I can to have the largest positive impact on the largest number of people and to leave uh, my community, my country, um, my family better than it was before. Well, it, you know, if you look at your resume, it seems like you're, you're following that plan to the letter. I mean, you've had so many cool and influential jobs along the way. Um, and like I said at the top, the really amazing thing is, is that each of your professional experiences seems like perfect training for the future president of an organization like Race Racism. Uh, policy analyst and strategic development director for the uh, New York City Department of Education, a stint with the New York Police Department focused on risk mitigation, uh, strategic initiatives in K-12 education uh, in the Washington, D.C. Deputy Mayor's Office. That was your primary focus in, in that yes. job, I think. Yes. Uh, and, and also in that job, you were co-chairwoman of the um, racial justice and equity team in the deputy yes. mayor's office. And Greg, if you told me when I was at Adelphi, if you told me uh, in 2021 that I would be here on Long Island leading Erase Racism, I probably would have told you, shut the front door. I don't believe it. Um, but when this opportunity presented itself to me, um, I couldn't resist it. I certainly couldn't resist pursuing it, and I couldn't resist. Um, actually, I don't know that I real well. Yeah, we'll talk about that. But I couldn't <laughs> this um, taking a shot because the work of erase racism is so important to the vitality of Long Island, and mm. I'll go even further and say to the vitality of the nation. Because where Long Island goes, and I've been saying this everywhere I go, the nation goes. And we know this because in the last election, it was the four Republican Congress people who were elected on mm. Long Island that changed the balance in Congress. Mm. Right. And so yes. this opportunity to be able to assist Long Island as it goes through a very challenging transformation in culture and community and, and new community members and really ensuring that the island stays vibrant and successful and is a place that young people want to come and young families want to come and can afford to come to and mm. do so in, a, in an atmosphere of acceptance is extremely important for us. It's, in for it's interesting to me that you, uh, that you invoke the election um, because your last job before race racism obviously was in the deputy mayor's office. I think yeah. that was your, la your last immediately preceding job. And that's by its very nature, politics and government. Um, would you say that that's an accurate assessment? Would you say that of all the jobs you've had, that one maybe gave you a crash course in, in the importance of governance? Oh, it absolutely. I think that one and also, um, working in New York City's Department of Education, both mm -hmm. in uh, managing middle school enrollment and also in the Office of Equity and Access, mm -hmm. gave me a crash course in politics like you never expected. Mm -hmm. And I think um, it also made me appreciative of what it would take to uh, implement some of the changes I would like to see across Long Island.
It gave That's me- what I'm talking about. That's yeah. what I mean. Seen yeah. it from the inside. You know, I've had other guests on the show last week. It was the new mayor of Port Jeff and, uh, you know, who'd never been really in government before. And yeah. uh, politics and government is always different uh, on the inside than it appears in the outside. So I would imagine jobs like that gave you a running start on on a job like you have now and how to work with government and and lawmakers on affecting the changes you want. Well, it, it, absolutely. It gave me a running start in understanding some of the pressures that lawmakers feel, um, the difference between lawmakers and uh, government workers who will be there past the newly elected person. Mm-hmm. And also, um, a lot of people compare working in government to turning a cruise ship or an oil tanker. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time and you don't always see... Um, the the results while you're there but Hmm. i think what it allowed me to do was to come from a place of strength in negotiation Hmm. because you begin to understand and also understand how to mobilize stakeholders voters and other organizations and people who are interested in the work i'm doing Hmm. push government to do the work they need to do now, that's good for understanding the mechanics of it, but um, so many of your other jobs have been about sort of the issues at, at hand, certainly the issues at hand at erase racism. Um, yeah. When you were a staff attorney for Legal Services NYC, uh, that's a nonprofit in the city that provides no cost representation to uh, lower income residents, primarily minorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, that must have put a lot of the issues that you're dealing with now. It made uh, it real. Right in front of you all the time. Made it yeah. real. It made it real because I think that um, for for many of us, there are things that come along. We have pictures in our head about who people are, right? You hear affordable housing, and unfortunately, what comes to mind are low-income people who don't like to work, maybe crim- a criminal element. We never think about uh, graduate students, uh, college graduates, um, young professionals who are spending uh, most of their income to, to cover expenses to live. And so uh, working with um, Brooklyn Legal Services, I really got to see firsthand the challenges that renters have. Um, we were looking at some of the challenges that, that elders have with foreclosures mm-hmm. and uh, thinking about how to hold on to their homes and also um, understanding the lack of housing that was available, uh, Mm -hmm. that was affordable. Mm -hmm. And if we want people to show up to work, if we want people to be contributing, positively contributing members of society, then housing and education have to be the two things that we provide well, that Mm -hmm. we pay attention to, and that we make a special effort to ensure that everyone has access to not only affordable housing, but a decent place to live, right? Mm, like so absolutely. many- basic. Yeah, basic. So many of my cases were people who were living in illegal dwellings or the landlord didn't want to fix things up because they wanted them out so they could charge more. And mm. there was no concern about the impact they could this could have on the economy, on a family, on a child. And so those are the things to me that I think we have to start humanizing for people 
when they think about affordable housing, certainly on Long Island and education as well. Okay, so uh, September marks a year on the job at yep. Erase Racism. Before we get to everything that's going on there, let's just keep it on housing for one more moment. Sure. Uh, fair housing is an enormous topic for the organization. Uh, and in fact, just this week, uh, you were commenting on Governor Kathy Hochul's new statewide housing plan. Uh, there's some really comprehensive initiatives uh, addressing housing and affordable housing specifically. Uh, I know you absolutely approve of these ideas. Uh, in fact, you shared an op-ed with Innovate Long Island's audience in March supporting the governor's proposals. So um, can you comment, please, on the plan and uh, what you think it's going to do? So I think um, I'm really excited about this set of executive orders that that she um, has rolled out. I'm excited because it gives localities who are interested in addressing affordable housing but may have had concerns about infrastructure and money um, and opportunity and zoning in the environment an opportunity to really say, hey, we are a pro-housing community and we're going to take advantage of all the incentives that they have available so that we can bring affordable housing online for current residents and also people who may be interested in um, moving to Long Island or moving into my locality. And this is particularly mm -hmm. interesting when you think about the number of businesses who are showing an interest in Long Island. We have a huge offshore uh, wind investment that investments that are coming. We are looking at uh, first responders who are unable to live here. So localities having mm -hmm. to struggle with how do they recruit or retain uh, EMTs, first responders, teachers, getting really good teachers and a diverse teacher mm -hmm. uh, teaching pool is important. So all of this would be helpful. Here's my major concern, though. And I know, you know, I try to stay positive, but my major concern is that it will be the same localities who always do mm -hmm. them. And we have to find a way to get some of the localities who refuse to do anything around affordability to certainly uh, pull their weight as well, hmm. right? Well, is it, now, what does that mean, pull their weight? Does that mean exclusively allowing affordable housing in their community or in some way supporting affordable housing in other communities? I mean, I think exclusively, afford, uh, uh, exclusively um, supporting affordable housing in their communities. It's great to support affordable housing in someone else's community because you're not bearing the brunt of what they have to deal with when it comes to infrastructure, when it comes to uh, new building and new considerations. Um, but you might be getting the benefit because there may be people who live there who are now going to come to work in your community and you get the benefit of that. So right. I, think, I think that um, it's high time. I, there are very few places on Long Island that can't afford at least one building. Right. Mm -hmm. Whether it's transit oriented uh, development or simply an affordable housing. And I'm not talking 120 percent um, um, medium income, but I'm talking more right. about 80 and below. Mm -hmm. You everywhere can afford at least one place that can allow people who work there to live there if they're not homeowners. OK, uh, that's obviously a huge issue. Like I said, uh, it's been a year. Uh, since you found out you'd be succeeding Elaine Gross and about 10 months since you took the reins. Uh, 
everything you'd hoped for and more? Everything I'd hoped for and more <laughs> and, and way more. Um, <laughs> in ways that I didn't think about. So, I, so much more. So much. <laughs> I think um, the one thing uh, that I appreciate about it and, and that's challenging, but it's great to have a job where you're always learning something new. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, I really appreciate that. I also really appreciate the partnerships that I've been able to cultivate and the people that I've been able to meet. And there's still more to go. I obviously haven't met everyone that I need to meet or would like to meet. But I think mm-hmm. what's important is that I am getting the full flavor of Long Island. You know, I went to school in Garden City and mm-hmm. I knew Garden City and Hempstead. I volunteered in Hempstead at the school on on Fulton Street and also in Hempstead proper uh, at another. I had some of my social work placements there and and at the Nassau County Department of Social Services. That'll teach you about a community quite fast, right? Being (laughs) a social worker. Right fast, right? right? Mm -hmm. But but I, I and of course, you know, I've 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 been to uh, the Hamptons and Sag Harbor, but there's so much in between. And there's mm-hmm. so many there's so many nuances to Long Island, and it's it, it's it could be easy mm-hmm. to paint the island as one big wide swath, but each place, each community, each locality, each town, each village, each hamlet has uh, its own uh, kind of flavor. Yes. Uh, comes with its own issues. But and it's been a joy to see that. Sometimes it's been not always joyful. But yeah. even in learning the nuances that are not always sweet and and good, um, it has been a learning curve about who people are and how you need how I need to think about working with people who may mm. not agree with me, who may not look like me, who may have completely different ideas but how do we come to a consensus and mm. places where we can work together because at the root of all of this we all want the same thing which is a safe diverse thriving long island for current residents our children and uh new residents who will be joining besides housing i guess is there a is there a particular issue that stands out uh, where you're like wow i knew about this but but wow, it's really a bigger problem than I thought, or maybe something more positive, like, uh, wow, there's a brilliant solution to this issue that I'd never even considered before. Anything like that? In the there last are two year? of them. So one, the first thing is the educational equity piece. Elaine's report, Race Racism's first report was, as you said, damning. Um, it set us on fire and it made us really wake up, right? Um, yes. And we got some money this year. Kudos to the governor for fully funding, uh, fully funding foundation aid. And of course, we had the operant ESSA funding from the federal government mm-hmm. due to the pandemic. I am still not convinced that we have gotten to an equitable place and that our children are seeing the results. And, you know, our, our latest report really does a review over 10 years of um, the funding, the lack thereof, the inequity in the funding and what that has meant for children. And mm. so what I am really working on and thinking about is I just don't want to ring the alarm, so to speak, and 
and just say, hey, look what's going on. I want to be part, I want erase, erasism, erase racism to be part of the solution as well. Mm-hmm. And what is our systemic change going to be? And they, that gets me to my second piece, which, are, which is our work with young people. Because mm. if we do nothing else as adults, as erase racism, we have a responsibility to ensure that we invest in our future uh, by the programming and training and time we spend with our young people. And that's why I'm particularly excited about our work with our uh, student leadership internships over the summer, our um, student task force that carries on during the year. Uh, uh, Last week, our young students from the student task force actually participated and facilitated a workshop on uplifting student voice in education at the Reimagining Education Summer Institute at Teachers College at Columbia University. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also led a plenary session with Dr. Bettina Love. And she was extremely impressed with the questions they asked. And we're talking about young people who, uh, based on their time spent with us after receiving training, some DEI training and youth leadership training, were able to have an impact on their schools. For example, one of the young women literally drafted lesson plans for her AP history course, hmm. a way to make sure that it was more inclusive. Who is doing that in high school? Yeah, special. Professionals who are not doing that, right? These mm-hmm. young people have been working on campaigns. They have been um, voices of equity in their school districts. And here's the thing about them in their school buildings. And here's the thing that has been really exciting. Mm-hmm. about it is that they come from all ethnic groups and all backgrounds. Hmm. That's critical. And that's critical because many of them are in um, school districts where, you know, they're very little pe- people of color. And mm-hmm. so they, you know, and, and when they're districts like that, people are always like, well, why do we need equity? I mean, aren't we all the same? And so for them to be able to advocate for this and to ensure that there's inclusion and diversity in conversation, even if it's not represented in, in the um, population, the student population, the staff population, is exactly what our nation needs, our young people need to be prepared to function in a world that is, that is browning and that is extremely diverse. That is all so positive and progressive, and I'm glad you took it in that direction because I wanted to talk to you about that specifically. Um, and I'm and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll phrase it this way: um, when the Supreme Court struck down affirmative action earlier this year, uh, you released a statement expressing disappointment and slamming the continuation of the systemic racism that's plagued this country. Uh, but you also called on citizens to double down on racial equality and called for, and I'm quoting here, a renewed national commitment to social justice for all Americans. Um, now, I got to tell you, this makes me weepy uh, as an American, certainly, but especially as a professional communicator, because here it is, it's another really dark moment in the land of the free, and here you are shining a light of hope, uh, positivity. Um, it seems to be a big part of what you do. It has to be a big part of what we do. Listen, 
our country was founded, even even though everyone wasn't included in its founded, our country was founded by people who left to find freedom, by people who believed in an ideal, by people who had themselves been oppressed, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what the American Revolution is. There were people who said, why are we sending our money back to England when we are doing all the work here, when we are are not reaping the benefits of of what we've created? And so I think what I will always choose to do is remind us, because very often um, in our society, in a capitalist society where everyone is worried about what I have and everyone feels that if someone has it, then that means I, they got it from me or that was supposed to be mine. I have mm. to remind us that we're all in this together. So if, you know, we're only as good as the least of us, and if the ship sinks, we're all going to go down with it. So we have to remember. Hmm. We have to remember who we are and what we're about and what this country is about has always been. Hey, I'm an immigrant. I was born in Barbados. I came here right. at 10. 10? You were 10 when you came? 10. I was a 10-year-old little girl. My mom mm-hmm. had come here earlier. My mom was, you know, not as highly educated. She eventually got her college degree. But I came from a family that would have been considered, certainly on my father's side, relatively middle class in 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 Barbados. But, you know, my family members came here and they cleaned people's houses and they, they were nannies and, and they did what they needed to do to achieve this American dream and this idea that the ideal that I think every American has. So the idea that we would, want to stop other people from getting access to that, especially people who have historically uh, been discriminated against and kept out of the access. I need to remind us, hey, and we can't depend on a court to tell us that. Mm -hmm. We can't depend on a court to legislate our behavior because the court's not there when the teacher is in the classroom. The court's not there when we have to make a decision about how we will treat a family. The court's not there when you decide a real estate agent decides to stare someone of a certain race or ethnicity to a certain neighborhood. Hmm. So we have to be the arbiters of justice. We have to be the ones who remind uh, our fellow citizens who sometimes forget that this is for all of us. And you have to remain positive while doing it? You- well, listen, now, now, I don't want to be, I'm not, I'm not the toxic positive person, right? <laughs> and trust me, you catch me on the wrong day, bring <laughs> us something coming out my mouth. But, <laughs> but what I have, and I credit my social work skills to this, is the understanding that change is tough. Hmm. And I think about it, and I take it down to this. Um, When the doctor says to you, hey, you need to stop eating red meat, sugar, drinking as much as you do, and you need to get up out of your chair and go for a walk and start exercising, 60% of us are like, yeah, okay. And then we leave there and we go have a slice of pizza. Mm -hmm. Or we have the biggest steak, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. And we're like, I'll start it next week. Right. It's tough to change from what you know, to change 
change from what has been comfortable. And if it's for you to do that for yourself, for your health, for your life, mm-hmm. then imagine how tough it is for someone to, to uh, change, especially if they feel that that change means they are losing something. And so I think it's important that we have um, a consideration of the shifting culture that needs to occur. And so that doesn't always leave me in a positive way, but I also believe that that's my work. Hmm. What do you uh, What do you see every day that tells you uh, that the mission, this this ongoing mission, decades of it, of it at a race racism, and and decades and decades of civil rights battles before that. What do you see every day that gives you hope? Conversations I have with people. I think it gives me hope when people see erase racism and they think I'm going to come in the door and be some ogre. Huh. Then they're like, oh, you're actually a cool person. <laughs> you know, and I think that um, at the basis of everything that every human wants you know unless you're you're intrinsically something's wrong with you um the same thing and and people want the same thing and so and and you know what else inspires me every day the young people yeah the young people in our country who push us me being an old fogey to them Mm -hmm. to think differently, Mm -hmm. to do differently. They're asking us to shift, right? Mm -hmm. And we're all, you know, in different forms. Some of us are pushing for a shift and we're like, I don't know where I'm shifting to, but we're going to go with it. Right. Others of us are like, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to hold on. But what we know that the only thing that's constant in life is change and death. So we have to give the young people the space and we have to listen to what they're saying. And they're saying they want change. They want inclusion. Mm -hmm. They want to be heard and they want us to grow. And so they are the ones who inspire me because they will lead a tomorrow that I may not get to. I may not see. I may not understand. But if I can share skill sets and knowledge Mm -hmm. and get energy from them and ideas from them and we implement them together, then I think our future is not as dark as um, we think it will be. And I want to thank you for reminding me of that because this morning, you know, the article came out about Florida changing how Black history is taught. Yes, yes. We we were just talking about that that here. Yes. got some benefits and and so i immediate was i immediately thought to myself well what like you can even get that right because yeah. if you have a people who came over and and used indigenous peoples and almost eradicated them and then they brought some people so they could enslave think i don't think your math is mathing and it's not given what you think it's given because it would seem to me that the people who did all the work were the ones who were teaching how to raise, you know, how to build agriculture. Mm-hmm. They were the ones doing all the work and the stuff that they may have learned may not have been as positive as you want to present it. But just the idea that this is something that a government is is pushing, right? And, yeah. and it got, I, you know, I was like, I am tired. I am tired. 
And and then I stopped because I was just like, if not me, who? Mm-hmm. And I can't get tired because even even with all of this that's happening now, I have ancestors who made it through enslavement. I've watched um, people with less than I have create more. Mm-hmm. And so and it's on their shoulders that I stand. So this, no. Yeah. We might t- we're just going to rest. Rest is resistance. We're going to rest a little. And then we're going to keep hammering away because this must fall. Well, listen, that is awesome stuff, Laura. Uh, and you are a cool person, by the way. And you don't, you don't even have to be in the room to know it. Uh, and if, listen, for someone who has to stare into the, the ugliness of modern society so often, you're remarkably positive and progressive. Uh, and thank you so much for sharing your perspectives with us today. This is, this is great stuff. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. And I look forward to continuing our relationship. And also for anyone who's listening, please feel free to reach out to us at eraseracismny.org. You can call our office and we literally are looking to build partnerships and um, really ensure that Long Island and New York State in America is thriving uh, and, and welcoming of all who are here to make the country better. Awesome. Uh, and in case you want to know who you're going to be working with over there at Erase Racism, we're going to play a round of the Spark Psychoanalysis game and dig deep into your mind, Laura Harding, uh, to see how you really think. It's all about balance and equality between the id and ego. So you're going to love it. Um, I have these two envelopes here and one says, which is your favorite and why? And the other one says, word association. And you, Laura Harding, get to choose our path. What shall we play today? I'm going to go favorite and why, because my word association might might not be. You know what? It scares off a lot of people. It does. So which is your favorite and why with Laura Hardy? Here we go. Which is your favorite Long Island school district? Oh, see, you're trying to get me in trouble. Right on the spot. Oh, I can't believe. Suddenly, like word association sounds oh, sounds fun man. and easy. Oh, oh. How about man. how about some of your favorite Long Island school districts? Some of them. So I have to go first with Malvern because Dr. Lorna Lewis, the the uh, superintendent there, is fabulous, and and those young people recently got the street um, that was named after a Ku Klux Klan yeah. member. Mm-hmm. Uh, changed. And so I was really excited about that and the work that they're doing there and to see young people leading that and seeing it all the way through. And that that was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, we also are doing some work in Wine Dance with uh, Herstory, um, with uh, Wine Dance High School, where we'll, we'll be going in with an Adelphi University's uh, School of Social Work. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited about their openness for us to go in and work with the young people and help them elevate their voice um, as a way to influence uh, their educational experience. All right. Um, uh, I would say Almont and Uniondale. So we did some, some uh, parent work in Almont, and we're looking to continue with that. And while they've had their own challenges there, I think we're pretty excited about um, being able to work with parents there. And I want to give a special shout out to uh, Hewlett Woodmere because hmm. uh, we're doing some work with them. And while um, they are they are definitely having some challenges there, I am um, 
happy and and uh, inspired by their superintendent and um, their school leaders and administrators and students mm. and parents who have come out and said, and alumni uh, who have gathered and said, hey, we are not going to allow uh, bias and discrimination to be the order of the day in our schools and in our district. And we're going to find a way to ensure that um, we we create the change that needs to happen. All right. Your favorite movie with racial overtones. Ooh. Ooh, 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 ooh. That's a hard I, one. Yeah, I don't want to lead you in any direction. I'm a do the right thing fan myself. It's a brilliant listen, classic. Listen, listen. Do the right thing is everything. It is a- everything. And that the beauty of that movie, I think, is that yeah. none of the characters is innocent and and they're all sort of guilty in a way. And uh, they were all racist, and they were all also not racist. It's just brilliantly written. Spike, yeah, Spike Lee at his best. He it is Spike Lee at his best. Um, I also I'll, I'll tell you. Um, I may be a little off the beaten path, but um, uh, Daughters of the Dust by Go Julie on. Dash is one, mm. and then this is one that's so off wacky. Gonna be like I don't even know how you got this. Thomasina and Bushrock because. Uh, Thomasina and Bushra were a couple. They were kind of like Bonnie and Clyde, but they were like a black Bonnie and Clyde. Uh-huh. And they were dealing with, you know, being um, a, a cowboy couple, cowboy, co- cowgirl couple right. in a very racist West. And uh, I happened to see it one day on Bounce TV. And I was like, oh, I love this. My daughter always laughs at me because she's like, oh, find these movies. I'm like, oh, no, no, girl. Well, man, you, but, you broke out two flicks I never heard of uh, right there. Yeah, so. You have to see Daughters of the Dust and you have to see Thomasine and Bush. Okay, that's that's why we play this game. Uh, your, <laughs> your favorite lunch meeting place in or around Sayasit? See, now, now you're going to get me in trouble. So I I actually like the diner, but I try to avoid the diner because you only go there if you want to be seen. And mm. every time I go there, I'm like, I'm like I don't want anyone to know. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I think Mario's Pizza, right on Jericho Turnpike, their pizza is not not that I should be eating it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna give a shout out to the little Syosset Deli mm. in my building because they keep me on the healthy road with my with my salads uh, and making sure that you know as I do all these meetings right, that right. that always be healthy and Mongos is always good for balance me. right everything with you is balance everything I love with it. all right um, speaking of guilty pleasures your favorite or guiltiest streaming TV binge. Oh, see, there's so, yeah. Oh my god. So I, I go between corny and crazy. Okay. So like, again, I'm thinking about my daughter because she laughs at me because I'll binge, I'll binge watch. So I've been um this this series is finished, but the one um Your Honor. Your Honor with well, the Breaking Bad, Bad guy, right? Yeah, Bad, right. I watch Breaking Bad too, and then I have like the corny stuff I watch. Like last night, I was watching Sweet Magnolias. Sweet, <laughs> is that a TV show? It's a Netflix. It's a Netflix show. Oh, I missed that one. 
Yeah, hey, you're really edu- you're really educating me. I, you're I'm you're filling sad. my weekend library with all these things. You know what else I do? Uh-huh. I watch these Nollywood movies. Why? Like what? And, like there's this one called Ki and Papa about these two. They're like two brothers, and one is like a a, a short person, and the other is regular, and they go into the city to make their their. You know, they go from this country to the city to make their bones, but then they end up being social media um, stars, and it is funny. Okay. It is funny. So, yeah, if you go on Netflix, they have a lot of Nollywood stuff. All right. And some of it is really good. Um, South Africa also has some good series that mm-hmm. are coming out. There are some good things. Some of it is really good. Some of it is just terrible. It's like watching 2B TV. It's like, Laura, why are you doing this to yourself? But <laughs> you have better things to do with yeah, your time. Yeah, but when you spend all your time. You're a busy time, professional. Yes. Uh, spend all your time thinking about deep things you want to sometimes just watch. All right. Two more quick. Your favorite alma mater. Oh, this to me. I'm all of them. Now, I'll say, um, you know, I will say this is I'm not even going to talk about the higher education. My favorite alma mater is Brooklyn Tech. Ah, good answer. See that? And I'll tell you why it's Brooklyn Tech. Um, Brooklyn Tech was one of the first places that allowed me to be fully expressed as a person. It was there I learned um to be an activist under the leadership of the late Liz Schiavara and Mr. D'Antona. Mm-hmm. We protested budget cuts mm-hmm. down at Board of Ed when Board of Ed was on Livingston Street um, with Mr. D'Antona. Me and two of my friends were a part of the Student Activist Committee and we uh, helped Brooklyn Tech to recycle. We brought, at that time when the, the Howard Beach incident happened Mm -hmm. we brought in uh the special prosecutor to talk to us about the case so it is at brooklyn tech that i really was uh and and was empowered to um be a leader and to understand that my voice and my actions can have an impact. Mm-hmm. It was also at Brooklyn Tech during that time. I was homeless for a period. Mm-hmm. And so I made it through there. And, and um, one of my counselors, Mr. Cahill, it would have been very easy for me to go to another school or go to City Ad School. And he made sure I stayed and graduated. Um, tech allowed me to play spades in the lunchroom with the Black folk. But... Mm-hmm go to the first Lollapalooza with my, you know, mm. Benetton ad friends. Mm. So, um, well put. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, last one, your favorite part of your day to day. Ooh, my favorite part of my day to day for work or life. Sure. Sure. <laughs> um, for life is spending time with my daughter mm-hmm. Um, because I really like her. You know, you love mm. your kid, but when you like them, Yeah. And you want, you know, you enjoy. I mean, she still drives me crazy, but of course. she has a great sense of humor. She is a great spirit. Mm-hmm. She um is empathetic. She volunteers. She went to college in California and spent part of her uh college time. I'm um, volunteering with Habitat for Humanity, hmm. not because she had to get credit, but because that's what she wanted to do. 
And I love that about her. I love that she wants to make the world a better place and she takes that into consideration for herself. For work, um, it's probably the people I get to meet, whether they agree with me or not, hmm. because they always um, teach me something about people, about Long Island, about New York, and also about myself. And so I get a reflection of places where I either need to grow or places where um, I'm like, wow, it's a great person. Mm. And yeah, that that's probably, um, uh, and the wins, the successes, right? But, sure. but the people make those. The people make those. Awesome. Laura, you are such a bright ray of positivity in a world that sorely needs it. Uh, thank you again for coming on the show today uh, and being such a good sport. This is great stuff. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And also, as always, thank you for your support of Erase Racism and the way that you are pushing all of us on Long Island to grow, change, innovate, and uh, create something new. Well, we're all in it together. She is the president of Racial Equality Watchdog Erase Racism. I am the editor over at InnovateLI.com. And this is Spark, the Innovate Long Island podcast. Thanks, as always, to Socially Just Innovate LI President Marlene McDonnell, exceptionally balanced man in the chair Arthur Germain, and the multinational mix over at Brand Telling, both the producer and sponsor of this racially desegregated podcast. And of course, thank you, dear listeners, for your time, your ears, and your mental space. Back soon with another great conversation from the innovation economy's front lines. Until then, let's restrict our judgments to the content of people's character, not the color of their skin. And let's keep on innovating. You've been listening to Spark, the Innovate Long Island podcast with host Gregory Zeller. To recommend a guest, please contact us at editor at innovateli.com. And to learn how you can create your own podcast, share your story, and otherwise become the go-to brand for customers in your industry, please visit our talented partner and generous sponsor at innovation.brandtelling.com.